Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Lessons from the Life of Mary, the Mother of Jesus. The title of my message is, Lessons from the Life of Mary, the Mother of Jesus. And what I want to do is read some passages from the book of Luke and from the book of John which offer some wonderful insights uh, about that mother-son relationship between Mary and her son Jesus. And we're going to see what we can learn from that relationship about our own roles as mothers, fathers, and children who are seeking to fulfill the call of God on our lives. Amen? So let's begin with Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 33 in the New King James Version. That's Luke chapter 1. Verse 26 through 33 in the New King James Version. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, She was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So here we see that the angel Gabriel tells the young virgin Mary that she will conceive and have a son and call his name Jesus. Now, most of you are familiar with this story, but apart from the miraculous conception involved here, I want to see what else we can learn from this fascinating passage of Scripture. And see if we can apply what we learn to better understand our own roles as mothers and fathers and stewards of the children that God has given unto us. So here's what I believe we can learn from the first passage that we just read. If you're open to it and your heart is tender and teachable, the Lord will reveal glimpses of your children's destiny to you. So you can do your part in helping them fulfill that destiny. Amen? Here we see that Mary was shown some pretty fantastic things about her son Jesus. He would be called the son of the highest, the son of God. He would inherit the throne of his ancestor David. He would be king over all the people of Israel, and his kingdom would have no end. You know, that's some pretty heady stuff for a teenage girl to digest. Now, while I'm certain that she didn't completely understand all that entailed, she was nevertheless given the information so she could better understand exactly what kind of son Jesus would grow up to be. Amen? And so she could do her part to assist him in fulfilling the call of God on his life. Amen. Let me give you a relatively modern example of this type of thing happening to a mother being told the destiny of their child even before they were born. Reverend Kenneth E. Hagan, who went to be with Jesus in 2003, 
he left behind a legacy of faith that's still impacting the world. And I could personally say that his teaching had a tremendous impact on my life. While many of you may be familiar with Brother Hagen and his legacy of faith, this is one thing you might not be aware of. It turns out that his mother had an angel appear to her before Kenneth was born, and the angel said to her, God has called this child to teach my people faith. Amen? Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to be somebody famous, and you don't have to be the mother of Jesus to have this happen to you. I dare say most of the mothers in here can tell me at least one thing that was revealed to them about their child, about their destiny, early in life, maybe sometimes even before they were born. Before Marcy, our oldest, was born, it was prophesied that she would glorify God at a very early age. And Trish and I both had a witness in our spirit when we heard this prophecy that it would have something to do with music. And we used that revelation to help guide and steer her as she followed her passion at a very early age, which, no surprise to us, was music and worship. And here she is many years later, glorifying God as our worship arts director here at Faith Life Fellowship. I don't know about you, but I think that's awesome. Amen. So this is the thing that we learn from this first passage. If your heart is sensitive to the Spirit and your desire is to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, God will give you glimpses of the destiny that God has planned for the lives of your children. Amen? So you can do your part in helping them fulfill that destiny. Isn't that awesome? All right, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Stay in Luke, but go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verse 8 through 20 in the New King James Version. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8 and reading through verse 20. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Listen to this. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I want to read that again because it's really important. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So here we see that Mary received new information about her son after he was born. 
And she received it secondhand from the shepherds, from other people. She found out he would bring joy to all people. He would be more than a king. He would be a savior. He would be anointed of God. And an angel and a heavenly choir had announced his birth. And while the shepherds were telling everyone that moved about the wonders of her child, I believe she was just a bit overwhelmed as it was just too much to process all at once. So she decided to remember these things, ponder them in her heart until she could put all the pieces together. Amen. So here's what I think we've learned from this second passage of Scripture. Sometimes you'll hear things from other people or from the Lord that you didn't know about your children. Aspects of their character, their personality that weren't revealed to you before. When that happens, the only thing you can do is put those things in your heart and ponder them and ask the Lord to give you wisdom. Listen, so you can help your child embrace the positive aspects of their character and personality and change or modify the negative aspects of their character and personality. Now, in the case of Jesus, of course, there were no negative aspects of his character and personality. He was perfect. Just wanted to make that clear. But, you know, we imperfect people can learn from the perfect one, can we not? Amen. All right. The next thing I want to talk to you about is something I call Loud Scott. So my mom tells the story of how she was called in for a teacher consult because she was concerned how quiet I was in her fourth grade classroom. The teacher told my mom, his grades are fine, but Scott doesn't say anything in class unless he's asked a question directly by me. And then sometimes he doesn't answer because he's off in space daydreaming. My mom was shocked and told the teacher, I don't understand. My child is the loudest child I've ever known. What do you talk about? He can't stand still. He's fidgeting all the time. He's always on the move. I don't, I don't get this. This doesn't jive with what I know about my child. Amen? But as I said at the outset, sometimes you'll learn things about your child from other people and other sources that you didn't know. They weren't revealed to you before. Well, what my mom didn't know was that I was intimidated around authority figures uh, like teachers other than my parents, that is. I wasn't intimidated by them for some reason. So I would ham it up and be loud and funny while I was around my friends. But the minute an authority figure, like a teacher, walked in the room, I would clam up and be like a different person. My mom didn't know that about me. And even though she knew that I wanted to fly military aircraft when I grew up, she had no idea that I was constantly daydreaming about it in my fourth grade classroom. And literally, I was off in space. I mean, somehow, subliminally, I was learning. But uh, in my mind, I was flying jets or flying in space or something like that. And the teacher would say, what is A squared plus B squared equals C squared? I'm like, huh? Of course, that's a little advanced for a fourth grade class. All right, praise the Lord. So some of these things were potentially good, like dreaming big and having a good sense of humor. They just had to be channeled in the proper way in the proper setting and at the proper time. Amen? But the fear of authority figures, however, was something 
that I had to eventually overcome, especially when I went to fly military aircraft. All of this so that I could become the man that God called me to be, do the things that God called me to do, and reach the people that God called me to reach. Again, you need to put these things that you've newly discovered about your child in your heart, ponder them, seek the wisdom of God so you can help your child embrace those aspects of character and personality that are good and change or modify the ones that are not so good. Is there anybody out there experienced what I'm talking about with your children? All right, okay. A couple of head nods would make me feel a whole lot better. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because this is kind of new territory for me. It's really way out of my comfort zone. But the Lord showed me some things here in Luke and in John that I believe we can learn from as mothers, fathers, and children. All right. Luke chapter 2, again, verse 41 to 51 in the New King James Version. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41 and reading through verse 51. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now think about it, mothers. That'd be pretty frightening. Let me stop and give this some context. The distance between Nazareth and Jerusalem as the crow flies is 64 miles. That's about four days by foot or by caravan, which seems likely. And it must have been a large caravan of friends and relatives because they supposed that he was somewhere in another wagon or another group of people walking somewhere in the caravan. That's what they reasoned. So it must have been a really large caravan. So they just said, well, he's, he's somewhere. He'll turn up. So verse 46. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. How would we say that today in North Carolina? What were you thinking? Your mother and I have been worried sick. What are you doing? At least let us know you're going to go to the temple. Come on. Verse 49. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Listen to this. And was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. I love that. Mary was a meditator. She was a ponderer. She would mull these things over. I believe gradually through the process of his birth and growth and adulthood, she eventually put most of the pieces together of who her son was. But it was an uh, evolutionary process. She wasn't quite there yet. She knew 
that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. But I guess she didn't put two and two together and, and reason that that must mean his real father is God. Yeah. She just didn't make that connection quite yet. So they did not understand what he meant by I must be about my father's business. All right. So what do we learn here? More will be revealed about your child and their destiny as they begin to shift from childhood to adulthood. And listen, that seems pretty obvious, but this one may not. And the fact that your child is only yours temporarily, but ultimately belongs to the father, will become more and more apparent. Amen? Here we see that by the time Jesus was 12, he had already figured out that he was the son of God. He knew he was God in the flesh. And he had started the shift in his heart toward fulfilling the calling that God had placed upon his life. And that calling would one day supersede the authority of his parents. So here they find him in the temple, in the house of God, asking and answering questions of the teachers of the law and the prophets. I love Psalm 69.9 says, the zeal of the house of God would consume him. And we see that beginning to manifest here. But when Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, his parents did not understand. Nevertheless, as was the case with all the other things Mary had heard about or seen in her son, she kept them in her heart and trusted that the Lord would one day help her Put the pieces together. Who exactly is my son? Because I learn something new about him almost every day. Now one thing I want you to see that is significant. Even though Jesus knew he was the son of God. Even though he knew he had a destiny like no other man before him. He wasn't yet an adult. So the Bible says he subjected himself to the natural authority of his parents until the time was right for him to reveal to the world exactly who he was. He was following the law of God. Exodus 20, 12 says, honor your father and your mother. He was following that. In the same way in this day and age, children who are not quite adults but are shifting in that direction may already know what it is that God's called them to be and called them to do. But they have to submit that vision to the guidance and care of their parents until they're adults, until they're charged with making their own life decisions, their own life choices, and following their own destiny as they are led of the Lord. So let's fast forward from the age of 12 to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was about 30 years old. Now that, there's a reason I say it like that. Everybody says, well, the Bible says Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry. Well, Luke 3.23 says he started his ministry about the age of 30. You know, I'm kind of a stickler for those kind of things. So he could have been like close to 31 or something, maybe even 31. But he was about 30 when he started his ministry. And he was about 30 when this wedding feast of Cana occurred in John chapter 2. So let's go to John chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 5 in the New King James Version. 
John chapter 2, starting at verse 1, going through verse 5, New King James Version. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now you got to read between the lines here. There must have been some eyeball to eyeball communication between Mary and Jesus. You know, he says, What have I got to do with you? My hour's not yet come. I imagine his mother gave him a look like, I need your help. And then she turned to the servant and said, whatever he says to do, do it. That's the way I see it. And you probably know the rest of the story. Jesus told the servants to fill six water pots of stone with water. And then Jesus turned that water into wine. And then verse 11 says, this beginning of signs. King James says, this beginning of miracles. Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Amen. Once again, Jesus was about 30 years old at the time of this wedding, which is well past the age of submitting himself to his mother's authority or his mother's wishes. So what we can learn from this so far is although Exodus 20:12 commanded the Jews to honor their father and their mother, it was understood that early in life, that would mean honor and obey. But later in life, in adulthood, the requirement of obedience was no longer in effect. In other words, you were to do all in your power to honor and respect your father and your mother, but you were old enough to make your own decisions and make your own life choices. Amen? Now, at this time, Jesus had already been filled with the Spirit. He was already anointed with the power of God. Amen. And uh, it was not yet time for him to launch his miracle ministry. He was acutely aware of the timing of heaven, and it just wasn't quite time. Okay. But I want you to see that Jesus so valued his relationship with his mother. He honored her to such a high degree. Listen to this, that he actually adjusted the timeline of heaven and performed the first miracle of his ministry to meet what she determined to be a dire need. Let me explain what I mean by that. It seems likely to me that the host of the wedding must have been a relative or a close friend of the family and of Mary, and she was horrified at the prospect of running out of wine at a wedding, evidently a social faux pas in Jewish society. So the point I'm trying to make here is this. Jesus was not obligated to grant the request of his mother, but he did so out of honor for her and out of compassion for the wedding host. Isn't that awesome? Gives you a little insight into the heart of Jesus. Now, this is a side journey, and I planned it purposely so I could have a little bit of fun. This is something I'm very familiar with. And that's the volume of wine involved here. Not because I'm a wino, because I'm a math guy. It turns out that in these six water pots of stone, there was about 150 gallons of water that got turned into wine. So if you take 
the standard volume of a bottle of wine or champagne, which is a fifth of a gallon, and you do the math, you find out that Jesus produced the equivalent of 750 standard bottles of wine for this wedding. In other words, Jesus is like, party on, dudes. We are not running out of wine. Another way to think about it is this. Jesus is not interested in just meeting your need. When he meets a need, he does it overflowing with abundance because he's God, because he's Jesus, because that's his heart for us. You need wine? I'm going to give you more wine than you can handle. I imagine there were people that went away and found containers of some kind to tote that wine away back to their house. There was just too much to consume at one wedding. So it was the gift that kept on giving. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. So getting back to the shift from honor and obey to honor. So we see in this last example from the motherhood of Mary that there will come a time when your children will grow up and will be released from their obligation to obey and will shift to honoring their father and their mother. And when that happens, you will have to release your children to make their own life choices and their own life decisions. They have to make up their own minds to follow the leading of the Lord and fulfill the calling of God that he's placed on their lives. And I can tell you from experience, it is not always easy to release your children in this way. Y'all aren't there yet, you young mothers, but you're going to get there and you'll know what I'm talking about. I got three daughters who are grown and married and each of them and their husbands and their children have a special destiny laid out for them by the Lord. So all I can do now is pray and support them in every way I can as they follow his plan for their lives. So they become the people that God called them to be, do the things that God called them to do and reach the people that God called them to reach. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message, Lessons from the Life of Mary, the Mother of Jesus. If this message has blessed you and you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by donating to our website at gofaithlife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.